Well, uh, this is the third of the, the lead up to Easter things. Um, for a, a couple of you that didn't hear before, I'm terrible with holidays, and I, I could absolutely just blow right through them, even major ones, you know, like a Easter or whatever. And, but this year the Lord told me to kind of be conscious of it as we move forward. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've sort of put ourselves in a position to plug in to the journey of Jesus the last few weeks. Uh, that trip from Ephraim down to Jericho and, and the blind man. And then last week, we experimented with some Bible reading and uh, what I call it, uh, Lectio Visio, reading by seeing. And uh, there were some neat comments. We went through that. And then some of you came up to me afterwards and throughout the week and shared things that you saw as well. And it was, it was pretty cool. So I was looking forward to today. I know traditionally this is Good Friday. And on Good Friday, you're supposed to preach about the cross and what Jesus did there. Uh, but thank goodness traditions don't have quite the hold on us that, <laughs> that they have at one point in my past. Uh, and, and the other thing that this three-week period did is it helped me... Um, it helped me spend some time with the Lord in a very particular way. And one of the things he's been instructing me in is to, is to be able to listen to him and, and to do what he says and that be enough. And so even in the preparation of the message and stuff like that, it's been a real interesting thing for the last few weeks. And I've been very encouraged by it. I've been encouraged by you guys and, and the things that you've shared. Um, and then that capped off a little bit, and I know some of, for some of you this will be a repeat because you've heard it uh, at the Tuesday meeting or perhaps at another conversation we've had. But something really special that the Lord said to me this week and shared with me, um, I want to share with you because I think it can help. And what it'll help is if you suffer from um, overly developed responsibility that sometimes lead to guilt, this is what I think the Lord was addressing in this. And so just very briefly, uh, I was asking him a few days ago, early this week, I was asking him how he thought about and how he saw the things that I was feeling bad that I didn't get done or that I hadn't got done yet. And it wasn't like a weirdo setup question. didn't feel like it was. It was just an honest one, you know, because like, I, I really appreciate uh, knowing how God thinks about stuff because it gives me a chance to change the way I think about it. And... And uh, I was also at the same time asking, is the lifestyle that you had, Jesus, where you only did what the Father is doing, is that lifestyle really possible for me and for us? And I felt like he answered me, and, and if you guys know me, this is my journal, or one of them. And so that was where we were having that conversation. And I felt like he said, you know, you, you, you live that way in a lot of areas of your life. But you, you reserve some areas where you feel like you should manage them remotely or independently. And he said it's from those areas that you suffer, and the phrase was pretty interesting, you suffer the anxiety of disconnected responsibility. Suffer the anxiety of disconnected responsibility in those areas. And so I thought, wow, and that really hit me. Uh, it's, it's like a memorable phrase for me that 
I feel like I could recognize if I was doing it or suffering under it. Well, then he went on to say, did I not say that apart from me you can do nothing? And this is where it got interesting. Because he was just quoting the scripture, you know. And I said, well, yeah, you did say that. And he goes, well, doesn't it follow then that there's never going to be anything? That is a responsibility or is a job or is a call or is a ministry or a task or a goal. That you are going to actually carry responsibility for apart from me. And it was one of those kind of questions where the answer was obvious. I go, well, yeah, of course. If, if I can't, if apart from you, I really can't do anything, then anything I'm supposed to do and that I'm going to be accountable for, you'll be doing it with me. And he said, that's right. It was so liberating, guys. It was so liberating. And the, the preparations for these last three weeks have been like that, and particularly this week. Now, this week was a, I needed to hear that in preparation for this week, because what I'm going to share with you tonight, the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, is going to begin in John chapter 13, verse 1. And it's not going to be a long passage we're going to cover, but it actually raises more questions and leaves out more stuff in, this, in the, that passage there leading up to, to the Lord's Supper and all that. It, it leaves out a lot more than it answers. And so as I was working through it with the Lord, I, I reminded myself, I'm just doing what you, you, you ask. You know, this is the only thing. And that's what's going to come across to you. So anyhow, for me, I thought that was, it was very liberating. It was very liberating. And it was so simple, I couldn't, un- I couldn't believe that I hadn't seen it before. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Therefore, I shouldn't feel guilty about things I can't get done apart from you. <laughs> because there's probably a false sense to it or something. So anyway, uh, it was fun. God's good. All right, Road to Resurrection 3. So ask that like a question. Jesus, considering all that's coming your way on this night before your arrest, let's say, what's on your mind? That's the question. So here, here's where it starts. John 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. This is just verse uh, 1 and 2. Actually, this is just verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. So, uh, slow down think th- about this with me. What, what was in the head of Jesus? What was on his mind? And we're going to look at two or three different things. But he knew that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world and go to the Father. Now, if you knew that your departure, be it a death or a rapture, or uh, getting caught up like Elijah, or whatever, if you knew that your departure from this earth into the Father's kingdom, into the Father's presence with the Father, was coming, what would you think about? How captivating would that thought be? (laughs) Okay, what Jesus thought about is this. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That word end is telos. And this is basically what it means as it's used in this sentence. The point set out as a goal or the end that was in mind for a thing from the start. So as Jesus stood there at the beginning of this thing in that room, ready to, uh, before Passover, ready to have a supper, uh, probably not a Passover supper, probably just a supper, with his disciples. His mind was on love. And it was on loving those that were there in the room. And if you remember, and we've looked at this a lot here because it's some of my favorite sections of Scripture, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 kind of run a run together, and they're that last dialogue that Jesus had, that last time Jesus had the night before he was arrested, or the, the evening before he was arrested, and before he was betrayed by, by Judas. And so when you get up to 17, this love thing keeps going in there. Uh, Father, I pray that they would be one like we're one, so that the love which you love me can be in them, and that the world will know that I sent them. So whatever it was, what this means is that Jesus was never distracted from the beginning of his incarnation, probably from the pre-incarnation, not that I know how to really talk about that, but he was never distracted and he was never, he was never pulled away from a central motive and that motive was loving us, loving those disciples and through them loving us. And so, this is such a simple point. That's why I was kind of feeling nervous about it as the culminating one in the, let's, let's focus on Easter. Because there's so much drama just hours from this moment in the Scripture. There's the arrest. There's all the accusations. There's the interaction with Pilate. There's the, the uh, obviously the betrayals and, and all of that stuff. And, of course, the pain and the shedding of blood. But we miss something significant, I think, if we allow those things to rise up and become more central than having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. There is something about the fixation of Jesus' love on you and me through those men. If we can get it, if we can if we can feel it, if we can receive it. He never lost sight. Here's the next verse. So during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simeon, or Simon, to betray him, Jesus, and again, so now we get a look inside Jesus' head. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Wow. I don't even know how to process that. I don't know how to process that. But I'm, I'm trying to just let it sink into me that this is, this is one of the abiding, conscious, contemporary, current thoughts in Jesus' head. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, this is what he did. He got up from supper and laid aside his garment 
and taking a towel, he girded himself. So, again, if we can slow down, I believe that the Holy Spirit can help us have a connection with God right now, a connection with Jesus, and, and, and what drove him carried him, led him to the cross. There's some amazing stuff said about that. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? How? Because he knew that he was going to, that he'd come from the Father, and that he was going back to the Father? Yeah, in that knowledge. But this is what he did. This is what that consciousness motivated him to do. He got up from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. And you know the story. Uh, he washed the disciples' feet. Which disciples? And we're going to stop it at 17. But if we go into 18, 18 is when Jesus gets troubled in spirit. Because he goes, one among you is going to betray me. And they were all shocked. And they couldn't discern who it was. So Peter motioned for John to ask him, and John leaned back, or was already leaning there, and he asked Jesus who it was. And you would expect, in, a, in an awkward time like that, maybe a cryptic answer or something. He says, well, it's the guy that I'm going to dip the bread in and hand to. And then a few seconds later, he dipped in the bread and he handed it to Judas. So John knew. Now, the others still didn't know. And Jesus said, just shortly after that, in, in verse 18, he said, now my spirit is troubled. So he was in this moment. He was in this moment in that room with these men, fully conscious of the cosmic realities that are going on, where he'd come from, where he's going, that now the time was up. He had been telling them all along, leading up to this, as we remember from that journey back from Ephraim forward, he had been telling them that we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested, or betrayed and arrested, and I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to raise from the dead. So he was never cryptic. He was never out of touch with those kind of things. But, but here, it didn't deter him from loving them to the end, and it didn't deter him from this act of service. So what he did, what he did was he took a towel and he girded himself with it, and... Uh, and then he poured some water. Okay. Now, I don't know what you guys think about foot washing. And when I was preparing this, I thought foot washing has got so many dimensions to it. Like, for one, he says, in a minute, we're going to look at it. He says, I gave you an example. You should do it. I don't understand why we don't wash feet all the time. You know, it's just not. I think I do a little bit. I'll talk about it tonight. But uh, in a few minutes. But I don't know. You might be nervous out there right now. Foot washing is an awkward thing in our culture because we don't wear sandals. That's one reason. You know, we have socks or pantyhose or boots or whatever the case is. But, but this act, you know, in other words, girding himself with it or however. I used to couldn't do that. I'm a little skinnier than I used to be. Uh, you know, you could, could do that. And uh, he took off his clothes. I'm not going to do that. But it's a real act is what I'm trying to say. It's not a spiritual metaphor. 
This is the one who was from God, who knew he was going back to God. He knew his time was at an end. He was loving these people, these men, to the end. And the way he loved them in this moment was he he poured some water out and he got ready to wash their feet. So there's a little story here. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and said to him, uh, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And it was obvious that he was incredulous at this. You know, like, there's no way. There's not, no, no way, no way. Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, and he told him the truth. Again, he's loving people that he loves through to the end. And so he's not being dishonest. He's not trying to, and this, this is something I did, did gain, you know, uh, some understanding. He's not trying to establish a new, or a, a, a religious ritual or something like that. He said, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. So what was he doing? Well, Peter's protesting, but then he gets into it. Peter said, never will I let you wash my feet. There's no way. Now, this is the same Peter that said, no, Lord, you can't go to Jerusalem and die. We're not going to let that happen. And uh, it wasn't so fresh in his memory that he probably couldn't recall it. But Jesus had had to say to him at that time, get thee behind me, Satan, right? So, but, but I don't want us to throw Peter under the bus. Because there's humility here. There's a devotion to the Lord. Again, later... Uh, as, and we're not going to have time to, to cover it, but as, if we were to go all the way through John chapter 13, you'll remember that Jesus says, where I'm going, you guys can't go. And, and like I am told the Jews, I'm telling you, you can't follow me right now. Peter says, well, where are you going to go? Why, why can't we follow you? I, I'd follow you to death. He goes, would you? He said, before the rooster crows again, you're going to deny me. That's St. Peter. Now, he wised up quicker in this scenario. And he said, uh, Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now we're going to have to try to wrestle with what that means to plug ourselves into Jesus at this moment, okay? And, and into who we are with him. But Simon Peter said, well, Lord, then, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So let's stick with the Peter thing first. Peter, Peter took the rebuke and said, well, if, if that's what it takes, then here I am. Give me a once over all the way. And Jesus said, no, that's not necessary. So pondering this response by Jesus helped me understand and kind of get beyond my my uh, complaint of why we don't wash feet in the church more historically, why it's not a more common, and I know it does happen in places, but it really was addressed at a need. It was not the beginning of a religious ceremony. These guys had walked to this place in sandaled feet on dirt roads. And both ceremonially 
and practically their feet were dirty. And you sit there on the floor, on pillows. You're reclining on one another in close quarters. So I, I don't pretend to know all the ceremonial significance, and there was, and I don't pretend to think I fully understand just the practical, but there was. So maybe it is true. The reason we don't do foot washing more is we don't live in a sandaled society. But I still have water here, and we might still wash each other's feet if you want. But regardless of whether we get to that or not, and I'm not trying to make an excuse not to, Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. That means that Peter had to receive what Jesus was offering. That was another thing that the Lord's been talking to me about in this idea of hearing his voice, doing what he says. Receive what I say. It's our response. It makes possible the thing that he's giving us. It makes possible the impact of that thing. And so, uh, obviously, Peter did, and it was cool. And then Jesus said, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you remember later on, in this same last night discourse, Jesus tells him, you're clean by the word I've spoken to you. And I would say here to you guys and to me, we're clean because of what Jesus has done. We need to understand that. We need to believe that. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to receive what Jesus continues to offer by way of cleansing. Not as, a, not as a religious exercise and not as an assuagement to guilt or anything like that, just simply because we're in a relationship with this Son of Man. And He is in a relationship with us. And that's that relationship, in spite of the fact that He was keenly aware that His time had come, says He was keenly aware that he had come from God and now was returning to his Father. He was aware that a few more hours and a few more steps was going to bring him to that commission which he had received as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the cosmos. This is why he was born in the Virgin Mary. This is why he took on the shape of of a zygote and a fetus and an infant. And yet, his head and his heart was in a relationship with these men. And yeah, one of them was Peter, and Peter was kind of impetuous. And one of them was John, who was comfortable leaning in close to Jesus and calling himself the disciple he loved. Do you know who another one was? It was Judas. It was Judas. Now, we, we haven't skipped any verses so far. And you know, there's no place where Judas has been dismissed yet. Jesus girded himself with that towel. He took that water and he walked around. And the only interaction we we get of the foot washing is with Peter. But before Jesus finished, he 
washed Judas's feet. And he didn't make an exception in what, or, or at least John in his narration of this, didn't make an exception. And he loved them except Judas until the end. That's powerful. And he didn't do it out of ignorance because he knew. It says, for he knew the one who was betraying him, and for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. And it caused quite a stir. Jesus was not deterred. He was not thrown off his focus by knowing that his time was up. He was not thrown off his focus by knowing that he had come from God and was returning to God. He was not thrown off his focus by the anticipation of what was coming. He was not thrown off his focus, except maybe briefly in verse 18 when when we get there, which we won't on the slide, but I'm troubled in my spirit because one of you is going to betray me. But it didn't deter him from the course. Not all of you are clean, but all of you are loved to the end. Not all of you are clean, but I'm going to wash the feet of every one of you. This is just the beginning now that opens up the heart and mind of Jesus. And, you know, in the next chapter, John 14, he says, don't you guys understand that these are not my words? They're the Father working in me. And so that, that, that lets me know, what, what was the Father's attitude towards Judas? Wow. I mean, wouldn't you have thought that he'd have been upset with him? Angry, judgmental, how dare you? Jesus said, this is all I do. I, 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 just, I just live out what I'm seeing the Father do. And he was doing that here. There's a lot, I think, that we can learn. Actually, not all of you are clean kind of extends forward to walking down the Via Della Rosa, carrying the cross. And there's people lined up all on the side. He says, don't weep for me. You know, not all of you are clean. I know that. But I'm not shrinking back. I'm not turning aside. I'm not withholding love. Knowing this did not deter Jesus at all on his path of love and humble service. So when he had washed their feet, including Judas, including Thomas, including Matthew, including John, that is, and James and the rest of the boys, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garment and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, this is the scripture that made me 
not be able to preach this without having water available. <laughs> okay? Because if you know what I did, you ought to also do this for one another. But I, th- I even as I got closer and closer to service time and I was with the Lord over this thing, talking to him, I think we should wash one another's feet. Because we can. But there's more going on here. Because he prefaced it by saying, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right. So I am. These were the same guys, if you remember, that he had to bring a little child into their midst because they were arguing about who was the greatest. And he's trying to seal that as he approaches this day. His arrest and his betrayal and his crucifixion and all that. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, I am. So if I, the Lord and teacher, if I have washed your feet, if I have served you this way, if I have done this knowing that you are going to betray me, Judas, you ought to do the same. Because these men were going to be released into a calling, into a ministry. And they needed to know that that was one of service. And they also needed to know that Jesus would be with them doing it. Yeah, Richard. Uh, I'm stuck on the clean part. Is it a double meaning that he's talking about here? Is he saying um, this, is con- this is to confirm that you are clean? Or, or was it an act of no, now that I'm washing your feet, you are definitely clean? I think it was the former, probably. Uh, if, if, if I remember correctly, looking ahead a little bit, uh, it says you're already clean by the words that I spoke to you. And, and those words weren't just these words. Those were the words on the road to Jericho. Those were the words when he dealt with them when they wanted to call fire down in the Samaritan city. Those were the words where he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So I, think the, I, I don't think that we're talking about a transactional cleanness here. I think we're talking a relational cleanness because of the word. And then as I push myself forward in scripture, I think it speaks of the same kind of thing where it talks about uh, the bride has made herself clean and white. And that's the, the righteous, you know, it's the participation in the words, in the leadership and the speaking of Jesus. But the acknowledgement that just the course of life needs to be touched up. So, That's my thought. So Judas is a part of this. Yeah, he is. Um, making him clean. Yeah. Uh, which kind of changes things. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't excuse what Judas did. It doesn't dismiss what he did. But it does make us think about uh, when Jesus had a perfect opportunity to separate 12 men into in or out. He didn't do it. He didn't say, you 11 are clean. And you, my friend, are not. What he did say, unfortunately after he gave him the bread and everything, and Satan entered into his heart, he said, what you must do, go do quickly. Nobody at the table knew what that meant. 
I don't exactly know what that means. But what I know is that without being ignorant to the problem, without being ignorant to the deception that Judas was falling into, without being ignorant of the reality that, you know, uh, like Jesus said something about kids another place. He said, woe to the one that causes one of these little ones to stumble. It'd be better if uh, he had a millstone put around his neck like is drawn by a donkey and was thrown into the sea. Jesus is not ignorant of who we are. He's not ignorant of the stuff in our lives. But he doesn't... He lives with a higher knowledge of the purposes of redemption that he has borne since the foundation of the world. He knows what the Father is doing. And he's doing it. He was about that from the beginning when he cleansed the temple in the beginning part of the Gospel of John. He knows what his father's doing, and he's doing it with him. And he has extended that life to us. And he's extending it to these men right here. That's, he's setting them up to live exactly that way. And you can jump to the book of Acts, and you can, you can see it. That he went about doing good through the apostles in partnership. This is why I thought this was an interesting last look leading up to the weekend, Easter, and, and Good Friday, crucifixion, all that stuff. What's Easter about? What, what, what is the cross about? It's about this. It's about Jesus loving us to the end. We turn it into a transaction or a battle and a victory. And it is all those things, perhaps. But that wasn't what was on his mind. That wasn't what was on his heart. If we track this all the way through to the end of chapter 17, he goes... Well, let's get up and go. <laughs> you know? And where are they going? They're going across the Kidron Valley. Here comes Judas. Jesus has to help the Roman cohort arrest him. Because when they approached him, he said, I am, and they fell down. They would have been powerless. He knows what the Father is about in redemption, and he's doing it with us. And I just thought by slowing down and looking at this and realizing what he held in his heart and poured out for these men, including Judas, will give us a better understanding of what the joy was that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross and despise its shame. And so this weekend, as we, as we celebrate and or, uh, participate in another church or, or have a family get together or a friend get together or whatever, Let's not lose sight that he loved these people. And through them, he loved us. And he loved us to the end. And really, the cross, the grave, and the resurrection was not even an interruption in his primary mindset. It was actually a demonstration of it. I feel like I just spoke over my pay grade there. <laughs> so he says, you have to also do the same thing. You ought to wash one another's feet. So, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who sent greater than the one who sent him. 
And then he said this, and this is a lesson that I want us to carry. He said, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Bless me, Lord. Okay? Do this. Now, again, that's why I want to have an opportunity <laughs> uh, if anybody wants to do this. And uh, I feel like I'm hedging or something. I'm, I'm not trying to mandate this. I'm just saying there's water here and there's towels here. And uh, I would be honored to wash someone's feet. And I would be honored to have my feet washed if anybody wants to. And I would hope you would want the same. So I'm going to make that open. But I don't want us to think that just this act of, of foot washing uh, Americana style is the fulfillment of, of the simple thing that's here. What did Jesus essentially give these guys? He gave them a demonstration that even though I know where I came from, the Father. I know where I'm going, back to the Father, to God. And he used the word God there. It's like the most all-encompassing word he could have used. I was willing to serve you at the point of a basic, genuine, real need. Your feet were dirty. And as a result, there was a ceremonial issue, cultural issue. I think we can extend it into that kind of stuff. And I think then that... I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. A slave isn't greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Jesus spoke with incredible authority about that because he knew he was sent by the Father. And we, he's telling us through the disciples, I, as I am in this world, so are you. I'm sending you into this world. You're going to walk in power. You're going to be able to declare things like you did, Jen, in healing. Don't let that dissuade you from the fact that when you see a need, get up. Get yourself positioned and meet it. Serve. And do it without requiring that everybody be lined up. And if you know these things, you are blessed. Now, let's try to elevate the nature of that word. That doesn't mean you get a check on the righteous side of the ledger. That means that there's something in your heart that leaps because it's been touched by the heart of God. There's, there's something of an assurance of oh my gosh, I'm loved. There's something that testifies to your worth, your value in the eyes of somebody that matters, who knows you. It's blessing like that. It's not just a, a righteous step forward. There are some translations that, that talk about being blissed. They use that word. Kind of cool. All right, so... Did I see safe in Wisconsin? Hello, Elizabeth. Riley, go ahead and put this up on the, on the page. So uh, I, I hope you guys can see this. Uh, this photo was posted on Facebook, so I felt it was public domain, and I was able to snitch it. Uh, 
and use it. But what this is, you guys, is this is Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth's on screen there. She has uh, been on a three-day journey back from Florida to Wisconsin. And then this is the Skinner family. And from the look of the poster, they are sitting at a table with her service dog, and it's Charlie, right, Elizabeth? Yes, sir. All right, so that's Elizabeth and Charlie, and they're sitting there, and it looks like in Golden Corral. And uh, Charlie, he looks very passive, but I'm sure with the smells in Golden Corral, he's looking for some, some treat or some such thing. Anyway, the question that I want to ask is, could it be this simple? Well, I, I have it on some authority, and I'm not trying to tell secrets, but I know that when uh, Elizabeth was making her trip back from Wisconsin, uh, from Florida to Wisconsin, she'd broken the trip down, and she went a little out of her way to ha- hang with the Skinners because she attends the Monday night study, and she's met them, uh, Jeremy and Amy, and the kids. And so, uh, and then they went a little out of their way to provide hospitality. I heard about that. And then I, I, she was very determined when she said she was going to give them something as well. And I'm not going to ask to disclose how long the fight was over who picked up dinner or who stayed where and how that worked or all that kind of stuff. But is it too much of a stretch to think that just last night, these two families that are with us tonight did this? That when the Skinners knew, when Jeremy and Amy knew that Elizabeth was going to go out of her way to come by, they went out of their way to make it worth their time. And she went out of her way to make this a fun event. Was it something like that, guys? Okay. Absolutely. It was amazing. <laughs> okay. I miss already. Huh? Oh, you miss them already? of each of you responding to a real need, a genuine, basic, non-supernatural, normal, wonderful, relational need, by you doing what he just said, did you get blessed? Absolutely. Could it be this simple? You know, I remember something that uh, Heidi Baker is famous for saying. uh, Heidi's a missionary in Mozambique. She's got this philosophy of just go and love the one in front of you. Just love the one in front of you. Now, that, that's easy to do if that one agrees with you spiritually, politically, socially, culturally. If they're annoying, it's not as easy. If they're confused and they're in the clutches of the enemy and they're deceived, and they're going to betray you unto arrest and death, I bet you it's even harder. (laughs) But he has become the way to do this. And I do think it's that simple. And I think that he, he knows it, and I think that he gives us all kinds of opportunity to practice where it's easy. I mean, I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of this, but let's say that it's 11 to 1 when it's easy and when it might be hard. 
so what's, what, are, what is Easter weekend about? What is the, the, the Good Friday thing about? Well, it's about a lot of things. But to Jesus, it's about loving to the end. This is a little further on in the chapter. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. I've thought of this scripture in some disconnected ways as a standalone scripture. I've even preached that this is the the new covenant command that replaced the love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And I think that might be true still. But I think that is not the primary truth. The primary truth is Jesus, in a hundred thousand ways, with lepers, with the Syrophoenician woman, with the woman mourning at the funeral, with the little boy with the bread and all the hungry people, with the disciples, in the storm, with Peter's mother-in-law, washing Judas' feet, showed us, for real, this is love. This is what motivates me and Papa. Because I only do what, he's, what I see him doing. The woman caught in adultery, my favorite story. Here's what 1 Corinthians says, and it makes it perfectly understandable. Love is patient. So he can wait us out. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered, even one, apparently, that is being um, anticipated in just a few minutes. He didn't take into account what Judas was doing that he knew he was doing. And then, here's a big one, love never fails. When I was thinking about this this thing, I felt like the Lord started talking to me. Again, I was in a journaling session. And he said, Larry, I want you to understand that This night, this act of, of, of washing their feet was one of the things that carried me through the cross. He said in particular, he said, the feel of that cool water on Peter's feet came back to me again and again, especially at that moment when I was tied at that whipping post and I heard him deny me and I looked at him. And I saw the bitterness in his heart. But I knew. I knew because I could feel it. I touched him. I knew I was going to be able to rescue him. I knew he was going to be able to be okay. And he is okay. Now, that could have been my imagination, and I'm fine with it, if it is. Or it could have been the Lord trying to help me understand the practical nature of love working its way through. What I know is he loved and because he loves us, we can love. Now, this is kind of the conclusion of the thing. As we receive Easter, and then this is a conversation I had with Richard earlier this week and some others, and hope in a coming awakening. Because is there anybody here that's not hoping 
that there's an awakening coming to our country? Okay. I, I mean, just I don't want to get too deep into the, the, the why, but it's pretty obvious that there's one needed and around the world. So as we receive Easter in a few days to keep the current and a, a coming awakening, which may actually already have started and be here sooner than Easter, John says, I'm not praying only for these men, but for all those who will believe in me through their message. How many of you believe in Jesus through the message of one of those men that he washed their feet? Right? I mean, wasn't it something in one of John's Gospels? Or I I guess you could be totally devoted to Paul, and he wasn't in the room at the time, but they had their own encounter. But you see what I'm saying? I'm not praying only for those men, but for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, live in me and I live in you. And I am asking that they may live in us, that the world may believe that you did send me. And then skipping a couple of verses, it goes to Father of goodness and truth. The world has not known you, but I have known you and these men know you, now know you, that you sent me. I have made yourself known to them and I will continue to do so that the love which you have had for me may be in their hearts and that I may be there also. And then, so you jump back from 17 into the earlier parts of this dialogue in John chapter 14. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I'm in you. That's where we find ourselves. So, I'm going to... I'll move this forward and leave that sitting there. I think there's probably something to be gained if we want to wash one of those feet. The worship team's going to come back out, and and they'll be leading us in worship. Yes, sir. Oh, Jeremy. Sorry, buddy. Go ahead, bud. That's okay. Uh, excellent job, Pastor. Thanks. I continue, I continue to, be to be overwhelmed with that which we have been brought into. Um, Everything that we seem to touch on in our journey together is always a, a refocus of um, of an invitation that was given, and and we were just—it's almost like we were sucked into this 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 thing that Jesus had with his Father. And um, for a lot of years, I maybe we spent uh, learning a theology that said that Jesus was over here. But we're over here and we can't do those things. We can't be that way, things like that. And, uh, you know, it reminded me, I think I've talked about this before, but several, a couple of years ago, the father began to walk me through that and said, tell me something my son is that you're not. And, and so I began to have that conversation. And, and it, the, that list has become smaller and smaller that distinguishes the two of us. And so um, I had not noticed about the, if, if we're associating the, the foot washing with a cleansing that we can do with each other. Um, and, and if any of us need biblical references, that's one right there. There it is again, you know, being invited into this thing where, um, you know, we can do that for each other uh, in so many different ways, whether it's physically washing feet or whether it's uh, being a listening ear and not applying any judgment, but just sitting there and listening and, and hearing whatever's going on with a person and loving and praying. And, and, uh, you know, we just don't think about it that way, but, uh, it's just the meeting of a practical need. Yeah. 
So keep going. I don't want to shut you off. But. No, that, that, I, I appreciate the way we always come back to that. Um, I think it's needed for us to continue to drive that home of, of what we've been invited into and are now in, and that sort of closeness. And uh, it really is a dynamic with our specific church. I'm sure we're not alone when, when we can, you know, uh, Richard has been to see us. We've seen Paul Richards up in Minnesota. I don't know any other church where that intimacy is there and you've never met the people face to face in some situations. And, and, uh, there's, I got to tell you, as one of the, the remote people, there's a freedom in that um, because there's not a uh, there's not a process of, of of us living our life, hearing from the Father and somebody on the other end saying, well, let me check the Bible, see if that's scriptural or not. You know, it's, we're living our life and and we're being fed and we're having a chance to come together. And now Elizabeth's back in, in, in uh, Wisconsin and she's going to live her life, continues. And, and, and all of that entails, and we are the same. I just think it's a beautiful picture of a church that I've, uh, that I've not ever been a part of. So, Yeah, it, it would be impossible to conceive of if it had to be built from scratch. But that's the beautiful thing. The relationship we have is not one that's been built from scratch in us, with us. We're invited into a relationship that already exists between the Father and the Son. And, and that's what this is. And so Jesus prayed, this is the last line in his prayer in, in John 17. I have made yourself known to them and will continue to do so, that the love which you have had for me, Father, the love that you had for me, the word of the Father, the eternal Son, Jesus, may be in you. And I'll be in you. Wow. Wow. That race is pretty cool.